Good morning, church family. My name is Holly, um, and I'll be reading to you from God's Word today. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Matthew 9, 35 through 38, and follow along. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching them in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You may be seated. You guys can just keep your Bibles open there. That is our passage for this morning. Uh, Thank you, Holly, for the reading of God's Word. Uh, If you guys don't know who I am, uh, my name is Pastor Chen Zong Vu. That's probably the first time you guys heard the full name. Uh, Most of the time, it's just Pastor Chen, and you guys are more than welcome to just call me that as well. And I serve here as a youth pastor, and it's truly a pleasure and honor to give God's word this morning. So I want to start our time off with this story, this missionary story here. On July 27th, 1947, a couple by the name of Ted and Ruth Adrianoff and their two small children boarded a ship that was en route for Southeast Asia. Two ordinary people headed for an unexpected role and an extraordinary display of God's power. They will find the Lord leading them to a small remote Laotian village and renting a home from a powerful shaman by the name of Boya. The home that he rented out had a history of demonic spiritual, and harass- spiritual attacks and harassments to anyone who would live there. And at the same time, Boya, on this other side, had a cousin who became severely sick. To give some context here to the unsaved Hmong person, when a person is severely sick, they would interpret it as something has happened to their soul. An evil spirit has come and taken away a part of their being, and it was up to the shaman to find them again. The role of the shaman will be to go and find the lost spirit or the lost part of the spirit. And through this act of chanting, uh, they chanted by putting this black cloth over their head. And they would enter into this trance and chanting to find the soul and to call the soul back to the body. Sometimes even offering sacrifices to the spirit. But even after all this chanting and all these rituals, Boya would eventually come to a point telling his cousin, I can do nothing and I can't do anything to help you. These rituals that we are so accustomed to, that we've been doing for many years, it's not helping. I'm sorry. These are some of the scariest words to hear from anyone. I cannot do anything. To help you. Because it lets you know that there is no hope. It lets you know that you're at the end of your line. So let's pan the camera back to the Adrianoff. So some time would pass. 
and the Adrianovs, they were able to live in this home untroubled by the demonic spirits. And this would catch the attention of Boya, and Boya would, uh, would go and send and ask for this, uh, for Ted to come. Tell us about your God. Ask that man, share about their King Jesus. And Mong is translated to Huatai Yesu. The boy Yah was saying, share about this Jesus. Tell us, show us this God of yours. So you can imagine Ted running to boy Yah. And he would share the gospel of Jesus with him and the sick cousin, which would lead to the miraculous healing of the cousin and the conversion of just not Boya, but the entire village. And within a few years, thousands of Hmong villages and families will come to know Christ. You see, this act of compassion from Ted and Ruth, of seeing, feeling, and meeting a need, in this case, a spiritual need, is set a domino effect that has produced over a hundred churches and thousands of believers in a matter of a few years. This story is a great reminder to myself as a Hmong man of the grace and mercy that God has poured out onto the Hmong people. My wife and I, we are fruits of someone who saw a need, felt a need, and met a need. This passage in Matthew, it could be a temptation of ours to simply read this verse and put it in a missions category where we preach and teach uh, once in a while. And though that this is an amazing passage to preach on for missions, it shouldn't just be used for that particular focus. If we claim that we are Christ followers, we must take this text and allow it to fuel our hearts to see the loss, to feel the loss, and to meet them in our everyday lives. As we begin a new year, we're often told, new year, new me. A huge focus on self-care and health, which is fine. I believe God's called us to be good stewards of even our souls and our our physical well-being. But let us not forget that we're also called to see the needs of others around us. So in our text, I would like to read that again for us. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Church, would you pray with me? Lord, as we come before you this morning, Lord, may this text speak to us and move within our hearts. And Lord, not only that, but may we receive the work that your Holy Spirit is doing through this passage and inside of us. Lord, we thank you for you modeled compassion in its perfect sense. So Lord, as we dive into your word this uh, afternoon, 
I pray for our time. May you be glorified. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So we are introduced to this passage with verse 35. This verse here is like a summary of Jesus' ministry so far. Matthew writes that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching and proclaiming and healing. So let's break down this first verse here. It's easy for us to read this, this, this verse and skip over this four-letter word, went, W-E-N-T. This simple word, it gives us a picture of how Jesus did ministry. He was on the move. He was on the go. Now, not on the go as in like he was trying to keep himself busy to avoid any conversation and he didn't have to talk to anyone, no, but on the go to seek the lost. He walked around, he was present, and allowed himself to be interrupted. Imagine if Ted and Ruth Adrianoff, when Boya came and asked for him to come and share about their Jesus, and Ted and Ruth were to say, it's okay, hold up, let me put you down on the schedule, and I'll get back to you in a week. But we obviously see that that's not the case. Ted and Ruth, they allow themselves to be interrupted for this moment to share the gospel. They were present. They were around. We have to realize here that Jesus' heart was to seek and save those who are lost. To him, lost people mattered to God, and he wanted them to be found. If you're familiar, that's one of our core values as the Alliance. It's actually the first core value of the Alliance is that lost people matter to God. And he wants them found. You see, that was Jesus' business. And not only that, please take notice that he left no stone unturned. He went through all the cities and villages. It's as if you have some amazing news about your life and you want to share it with everyone. For example, Facebook and Instagram posts. You want people to know the good news that you received. In a similar sense, he made sure that each village, town, and city heard about the kingdom and the Messiah who is him, Jesus. We must also ask, what is the purpose of this teaching, preaching, and healing? This was Jesus' way of advancing the kingdom at this moment. It was through teaching, preaching, and healing. So what was he teaching, preaching, and healing? So what does that mean, right? Teaching, what was it that Jesus was teaching in those synagogues? He was teaching them about the Torah, about the Old Testament, That the whole Old Testament points to this one person who is him, Jesus. He was teaching that hope is not just simply a belief to just simply cling on, but it was embodied in a person who was him, Jesus. Preaching. What about preaching then? What did he preach on? He preached of the good news of the kingdom. One pastor by the name of Doug Logan from Philadelphia, PA, says this, that Jesus preached truths that transformed dead folk into living folk. He preached hope and he preached transformation. 
we move on to the next healing. Matthew writes here that Jesus healed every disease. Again, I want to emphasize every. If you have your Bibles, if you have a a note somewhere, highlight that word, every. It points us to this, the reality that there is a supremacy that an authority that Jesus has. There is nothing that is not subject to the power and authority of Christ. One theologian by the name of Abraham Kuyper says this, there are no renegade molecules that gets to do anything. They are all overseen by God. There is no renegade molecule that says that they are apart from Jesus. There is nothing that Jesus can't say it's mine. Jesus, as he heals, as it's recorded, it lets us know that Jesus is also Jehovah Ratha. He is our healer. One thing I love about being part of the Christian Missionary Alliance is that we emphasize that Christ is our healer. It's not just about physical sickness, nor just about spiritual sickness, but both and. Jesus is both our healer physically and spiritually. And I would even add emotionally and mentally as well. He brings wholeness to our being. There is nothing outside the power of Jesus. Paul reminds us of this authority and this supremacy of Christ in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. It says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Everything is subject to our King Jesus. So we've done some digging as to how Jesus was advancing his kingdom. Uh, and it, it reminded us through teaching, preaching, and healing. So now let's shift our attention to this. Is that we must also make note that Jesus in his human body, he must have been exhausted. Exhausted from the work that he has been doing. It must have taken a toll on his physical body. Uh, on, on a lot of Christian websites, there are countless articles out there for the preacher that reminds them of the to-dos and the not-tos. To simply put is that you get tired after teaching and preaching. So that list of to-dos and not-to-dos will often tell you, hey, after you get done preaching, prepare for this. Or after you get done preaching, make sure that you take some rest. So if we were to put ourselves just around, surrounding Jesus, we could probably see that he was tired. It takes on you physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So we are also led to ask this next question, what kept him going then? What kept Jesus going when he was exhausted, when he was tired? The simple answer to this is compassion. Jesus had compassion on the crowd. This term compassion is defined by Webster Dictionary as a feeling of wanting to help someone who is sick, hungry, and trouble. 
Now, I believe this is a partial definition of compassion. In this text, Jesus models compassion to the disciples and to us. And he would go on to display compassion in its perfect sense later on through the cross. Compassion is what fueled Jesus' mission and what should fuel our hearts as well. So let's take a moment to glean from Jesus here and learn how he modeled this term, compassion. First, he models compassion through three actions. He saw, and he felt, and then he met. We see Jesus do these things. So first, Jesus models compassion by seeing the crowd. Not just seeing the crowd, but seeing the need of the crowd. In verse 36, Matthew records that he saw the crowds. I love that in this verse is that Matthew was probably there to witness this moment. How do we know this? Check out verse 9. It's the verse where Matthew records Jesus' calling in his own life. He saw that Jesus was moved with compassion for the crowds because of their condition. I love that it's not a speculation. It probably wasn't a speculation of Matthew, but rather a personal witness to it. What do I mean by this? It wasn't like Jesus was turned around facing another direction and Matthew only saw the backside of his head. No, Matthew probably saw the anguish the facial expressions, the compassion that Jesus showed, their condition. We can't answer the question why Jesus felt compassion without understanding their condition. The text answers that the question, uh, this question, what is their condition in the following uh, section is that they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. A pretty straightforward illustration there. Now, this sheep and shepherd image that Matthew writes in his gospel account is one that is frequently seen throughout the Old Testament. It represents this relationship between God and the people of Israel. God being the great shepherd and the people of Israel as the sheep. Now, if we do a bit more digging, we will also find that the sheep and shepherd image that is mentioned here also connects us to a passage that's found in Ezekiel chapter 34. But in this particular passage, the prophet Ezekiel describes the sheep as oppressed and scattered because the shepherds of Israel, which were the priests and the religious leaders, they failed on their duty to seek and rescue the loss. You see, Jesus was not blind to the need at hand. I mean, think about it. He was going through every single city, every village, teaching, preaching, and healing. These aren't things that you just simply do from afar. These aren't things that you do just simply through, um, no, not bashing on the web, uh, things, but these are things that are be, to be done personally with people. He was up close and personal. So he saw the need. 
the question for you and I, what are the needs that we see in our community? And an even deeper question to that is a very simple one. Do you see the needs? Secondly, Jesus models compassion by feeling the need of the crowd. Within verse 36, it continues that he felt compassion. This term compassion in its essence means to suffer with. Well, uh, one Bible commentator by the name of R.T. Francis says this. His response is described by a strong emotional Greek verb, splachnizomai, which speaks of a warm, compassionate response to need. But in English, there is no term that does justice for it. The phrase, his heart went out, perhaps best represents the emotions that Jesus felt. He was there and he felt the need. This weight that Jesus feels is one that I'm sure us in this room, some of us in this room have felt before. A feeling, a angst, a hurt that words cannot fully describe. If you have that, feeling or if you've had that feeling or if you are having that feeling now i want to remind you praise god that even if we don't have the words he knows our hearts and he knows what it is that we do feel nothing is hidden from him check out what david writes in psalms 139 verse 1 to 4 he says this Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search me out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, oh, Lord, you know it all together. God knows and feels the need at hand. But what about us? What do we feel when we see those in need? And I'm not just talking about the physical needs, but those who are in spiritual darkness and need of Christ's light to shine in their life. Is our heart stirred and does it break for the loss? What is our response to that? Or have we grown numb to the needs around us? One of my fears in life is losing feeling or becoming numb to things that should cause us to feel. An online statistic says this about the things that we read and see. This statistic is gathered from this past year, 2021, is that people are 49% more likely to read something negative than positive. Most of those aged 17 and over have a tendency to gravitate towards negative information while disregarding positive ones. You see, in a technology-driven society where news of wars, bombings, murders, rapes, human trafficking, the list can go on. I mean, for example, I went to check my phone earlier, and there was a news article about some things that were happening overseas. 
and weren't good things either. We are so overwhelmed by these things that we're not even moved by them anymore. Church, have our souls become numb to the needs around us. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for the veil that we place over our hearts and our eyes to to ignore those in need. Thirdly, Jesus models compassion by meeting the needs of the crowd. After we get this recording of Jesus' deep anguish and compassion for the crowds, we get this picture that he turns to his disciples and he tells them the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This mention of harvest is not one of judgment, but one that is of hope. People are ready to hear the gospel. One of the greatest lies that the enemy has is saying that people don't care about hearing about Jesus. You see, people are in desperate need of hope, whether they know it or not. Compassion is a love that moves us to go. Compassion in its fullness will fuel you to do something. Compassion is not just simply lip service. Compassion is always demonstrated through action. You don't tell someone that you love them and turn around and you let them burn. No, you tell someone that you love them and you show it through action. You do something about it. So we're probably asking, okay, cool then. We look at this text and we say, all right, let's go. Let's do something. Let's get our co- compassion going then. Let's, let's go out and see the need and do something about it. Jesus, even you said that the harvest is plentiful and it's just waiting. And all we need is laborers. You know what, Jesus? Guess what? I'll be a laborer. I'll go. If you are someone who does first and asks questions later, I understand that you are anxious to get to work here. I resonate with personalities that would jump into the pool without asking if there's any water in it. But I can imagine hearing Jesus like a lifeguard in a megaphone or a whistle saying, blowing and saying, wait, 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 hold up. Hold up. Jesus goes on to tell us what our first step should be, though. And it's to pray. Prayer is the primary work of God's people. It's not the secondary thing on the list. It's not the fourth thing on the list. But it's the first thing. And it should be the first thing on the list. We aren't simply called to just go. But we are called to pray first. This act of prayer is the first step of meeting the needs. If we desire to be a people who are compassionate, we need to first be a people who are praying. Now, as we see and as we will continue, as, as you'll see, and if you continue on reading in the text, in the next chapter we see that the disciples will become the answer to their own prayer. 
And Jesus commissions them to go, to see, to feel, to meet the needs of the people. And he does so with you and I today. Prayer is the fuel for compassion. And compassion is the fuel for a missional heart. Biblical compassion is not humanitarianism. It's not simply doing good things to benefit and help others. Biblical compassion calls for us as Christ followers to put on the lens of Christ and see others, see the lost as image bearers of God. To see, to feel, and to meet. The act of compassion is only truly fulfilled when we see, when we feel, and we meet the need. So two groups that I would love to address today is the first group is that maybe you are here because you are someone who is in need of compassion. Someone who needs to be seen, someone who needs to be heard or has a need to be met. And I want to let you know that right here and now that Jesus has displayed compassion towards you. You see, he saw your lostness. He saw our lostness when we were shepherdless sheep in need of hope and of a savior. He would not only then just see the need, but he would feel that when he would leave his heavenly throne to be born in this world, to walk among us in flesh, feeling the same things such as hunger, pain, scraped knees, blisters on his feet, he understands. But not only that, it leads him to displaying compassion in its perfect sense through the cross. He met our need of a savior, a sanctifier, a healer, and fills the role of the coming king. He sees you. He knows you. And he wants you to know that you are loved. If you're someone, the second group, if you're someone who has been in the body of Christ and for a long time has found yourself more times turning your eyes away from the needs of others rather than extending your hand, let me challenge you and encourage you. You are called to this. Dr. Brian Loritz says this, is that you have not and will not walk in compassion until you have been used as a utensil of the divine God to meet the need. You are called as a follower of Christ to display his compassion. You are called to be a laborer for the kingdom. You are called to the harvest. If you are a Christ follower, the call to the harvest is not reserved just to missionaries. They may be called to a different country, yes, across borders. But where you are at, you are called to the harvest where he has placed you. When we look at Jesus, he walked the streets he talked with sinners. He rubbed shoulders with those in need, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And if you're wondering, well, I want to be compassionate, but I just don't know where to start. The awesome thing here is that Jesus gives us the answer right here. Is Jesus' emphasis on pray gives us a starting place. 
Start praying for laborers. But not only that, but pray that you may see, feel, and meet a need of someone. And by it, they will see Christ radiate through you. Ask for a transformed heart. Cities, laws, and, 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 and panels, and discussions, yes, they're great. They're great for a community, but what really transforms cities are not those things. It's transformed people. Transformed people transforms cities. Jesus' compassion leads to the recognition of the opportunity and urgency and vastness of the need. The need for the lost to be found. So pray. 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 Church, you and I are called to this mission. If we claim to be Christ followers, we are called to show the compassion of Jesus to others. To see, to to feel, and to meet. Church, let us be a praying people who are fueled by the compassion of Christ so that we may radiate His light to our schools, our neighborhoods, our cities. doesn't matter who you are, what age you are, if you claim that you are a Christ follower, He will radiate through you. So when He calls you, do not bail out. Let's pray. Lord, may your word today be a reminder for us that you have called us to be a compassionate people. Not because we ourselves are, but because you have shown us what compassion is. May we model compassion and may compassion be the fuel for us to reach those who are lost. May your spirit move in us and open our eyes to see, our hearts to feel, and our hands to meet the needs of others. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.